around and we turn around. But where do we turn? Do we turn to Buddha or do we turn to Muhammad? Which, which direction do we turn? And so the second step is we turn to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. And so Paul, he talked to them about Jesus and they believed in Jesus. And then we find then that he baptised them in water. You know, baptism is a public confession of faith that you have asked Jesus into your life. And so when uh, with baptism, uh, we, we take them into the water, which is uh, a, a symbol there of, of Jesus after he died, been going into the grave. And uh, then he was there for three days. And so we hold him under the water for three days. And uh, then we raise him up out of the water. And so it's, it's a picture of the, uh, our identification with Jesus' death and burial and, and resurrection that we're a follower of Jesus Christ. And so uh, Paul baptized him in water. And, and then he placed hands upon him that they would be baptized or filled or empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And we find here in this passage that the gifts of the Holy Spirit began to flow. The evidence of the power of God was at work in their life. And so every believer, every one of you, if you say that you're a Christian today, you should be able to identify with these four steps in your Christian life. There is a time that you repented of your sins. There is a time when you turned to Jesus and asked Jesus to come into your life. And then you, uh, you gave a public confession of that. You were baptized in water. And then you have been filled and powered by the Holy Holy Spirit and so you should know those four steps in your Christian life and so we go back to our story here so Paul he then spent two years establishing this church at Ephesus and we read in Acts chapter 19 it talks here about sick people were healed those who were oppressed by demonic spirits were set free uh, from them and uh, many uh, Christians here they had demonic things in their houses uh, and so they took these demonic things and, and they burnt them and then we find that the people that were selling these demonic things, they were going broke because nobody was buying their stuff. And so they got really upset. And the Bible says that the whole city was in an uproar. In verse 29 it says, soon the whole city was in an uproar. People were upset what was happening. And now years later, Paul, he's an old man. He's in Rome. He's in prison because of his faith. His eyesight's failing. And he writes to the church at Ephesus this amazing letter that we have here. And so the temple of Artemis, it was in the city at Ephesus. Um, it dominated the re religious life. It was so big. It was so grand. It was regarded as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And so this group of Christians are fine. They're trying to follow Jesus uh, in this city, uh, which really is just ruled there, dominated by this demonic religion. And you can see that they probably went through some really strong daily battles just to survive. There's a great book on Ephesians. It's written by a Chinese scholar called Watchman Nee. And uh, it's called Sit, Walk and Stand. It's a great little book if you want to read a book on, on Ephesians. Chapter 1 and 2, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And chapter 3 and 4, walk worthy of the life to which you have been called. And then chapter 5 and 6, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. And so it's sit, walk and stand. It's a great little book uh, on Ephesians, a good description of the letter that Paul wrote to this church at Ephesus. And so he opens this letter by praying for the church, which is what I want to look at today. Paul doesn't pray that God will protect them, doesn't pray for healing, financial stability, 
doesn't pray for happiness for them. This prayer goes so much deeper. If you've been following the prayer book this week, you've been going through chapter 1 of Ephesians, you would have come across this prayer. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 16. It says this, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. Look what he's praying, spirit of wisdom and revelation. This is a prayer, you know, often we're praying for stuff. We have like bless me prayers, don't we? God bless me, give me this, give me that. You know, Paul's not praying for that. You know, we ought to be asking for the prayer of wisdom because maybe some of the stuff that we're praying for is not right for us. You know, prayers that we've prayed... Sometimes you look back over a period of time and think, thank you, Lord, that you didn't answer that prayer. That would have been like the worst thing that could have happened in my life. You know, we prayed for it, but we don't see, we don't have a spirit of wisdom. We don't understand, we don't have a revelation of what God is doing, and we're praying for stuff, really, that is not necessarily good uh, for us to pray. And look at what Paul values here. Really, what you value in life will, will have a whole lot to do with how you turn out. Look at what Paul values in here. He says, you know, this is what I want you to have, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The heart spoken about here is not your physical blood pump. You know, Pastor Bob has learned a whole lot about his heart over these last few weeks. But in the Bible you find when it's talking about heart and spirit, heart, the word heart and spirit, it is interchangeable. It's talking about the inner person here. It's not talking about uh, your blood pump, uh, your inner understanding. And do you know that your spirit has eyes? So your spirit has eyes. Inner eyes are really important. Uh, if you don't have uh, inner eyes, then you, you are dependent on other people's opinion to make you feel valuable. Or you're worried about what you can see with your eyes to interpret a situation. And, but when he says, I'm praying for you that the eyes of your spirit be enlightened, not that you may see, but he says, but that you may know, so that you may know. If your understanding is blind, then maybe your perception of a situation, maybe of yourself, or maybe of your self-worth, or, you know, what you can do, or maybe what you can be, or, but, or you know, uh, or maybe what uh, God is able to do through, through your life. If you're, if you're blind to it, you're blind to it not because you don't have outer eyes. You've got outer eyes that can see you, right? But if you're inner eyes, they need to be enlightened so that, you know, everything around you may look bad. Everything around you may look a disaster. Things may be failing you, but there's an inner knowing, there's an inner confidence you have because you know God has spoken to you, you have an understanding. How so often when you're reading Paul's letters in the New Testament, you see this little phrase come through, knowing this, knowing this, knowing this. See, Apostle Paul, he's talking about an inner knowing that we have in our life when we have the Holy Spirit at work within us. So it's not what happens to you that matters. See, it's about what you understand about it. If you don't understand it, if you don't perceive it correctly, then you're right, likely to just keep repeating it or react in the, in the wrong way. Some translations, when they're uh, translating this verse and some of the older translations, it puts it, I pray that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. Understanding is the truth you stand under. 
See, if you, the truth that you stand under isn't right, if you, the truth that you stand under is a lie, then you're going to make wrong decisions in your life. You could, be, you could be standing under a lie about yourself. You're telling yourself a lie. Or you could be standing under a, a lie about some event that happened in your life. Or you could be standing under a lie about another person. You don't know the full picture. You don't know what the truth is. You only know what your, your outer eyes have told you. It may not be the full story. And so you're standing under a lie about it. And so if you went through something and um, you, you didn't have a correct understanding of it, then it's a lie that you're standing under. A good example of this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, before he became a Christian, he was out trying to persecute Christians. He thought that he was serving God by persecuting Christians. We read about it in Acts chapter 9 and, and verse 1 and 2. It says there, it says, Meanwhile Saul, uh, Saul later changed his name to Paul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is what they used to call Christians, they were people of the way, uh, whether they were men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, his understanding about Jesus was not true. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And the men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he uh, opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So Saul, we find that, uh, uh, who's now called, later on called Paul, we find in his early days he starts out and he's got letters and he's going down to Damascus and he can find anybody that's a follower of Jesus Christ, he would capture them, he would chain them, he would bring them back to Jerusalem and, and they would potentially be killed. And he had a group of men that were with him to help him to do that. And so he was so blind on the inside that he thought that he was doing God's service by killing God's people. See, when you're wrong on the inside, you call right wrong, and you can call wrong right. We see this happen all the time, don't we? We see governments passing legislation that are calling wrong right. There is no understanding. The eyes of the Spirit are not opening. There's no light on the inside. And so Paul, although he could see on the outside, he could not see on the inside. And so he's walking in this one-dimensional light. He saw, and then he saw this greater light. That came and, and this greater light was an encounter with Jesus. Let me show you something about this greater light. When, when you have a greater light, you can be walking in a shadow. But then there's a greater light that comes that overshadows you and takes the shadow away and shows you some, the light, the light there, you could think maybe about death. You can think about death maybe as the end. And um, when you die, it's final, it's so sad, it's the end. And, but the Bible says in Psalm 23 that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's just a shadow. If there is a shadow, that means that there is a greater light. There's a greater light. And so we know that when it comes to death, there is a greater light. There is a resurrection of the dead. If you're a believer, then you're resurrected from the dead to be with Jesus. And so what we think is something that is bad, that is final, that is an end, is actually a pathway into something which is far greater. 
See, in life it can be a blessing when God sabotages your mission. Maybe you had some sort of plan and, and it, you know, something happened and God aborted your plan, interrupted what you were trying to do. God can be doing you a, a favour. Failure can be a favour in life. See, you, you can be trying to knock a door down. You can be trying to push your way through into something. Far better to walk through the open door that God sets before us that no man can shut. And like Paul, sometimes, you know, God has to knock us on, off the beast and get us down onto the ground uh, so that we can get some inner understanding. In my own life, for many years, my plan, I was going to build my business. That was my plan. That was what I was working for until my largest customer went broke. But it ended up being a blessing in my life because God was changing the direction, the course of, of my life. And so Paul here, he's lying on the ground and he says, who is it? And the voice speaks out of the light and says, it is Jesus who you're persecuting. And you can tell that Paul's now been exposed to a greater light than what he had before because her response comes out of that, what must I do? What must I do? I'm going down to kill Christians, but now I've been exposed to something else. What, what, what must I do? See, humility is a sign of conversion. See, when, somebody, when you see somebody that's not humble, then they haven't been converted, but humility is a sign of conversion. Humility is a sign that you've encountered something which is greater than your little light. You're, you're walking in your own little world and your own understanding, fulfilling your own selfish uh, life, and then all of a sudden you, you encounter something greater. You've been converted, you've been born again, you've, you've received a greater revelation, a greater uh, light in, in your life that has brought you to your knees. And when he got up, he, he couldn't even see his own men. He couldn't see physically, but he could see. He could see. What happened on the ground with Paul, the Paul who could see on the outside, but was blind on the inside, got up and now he's blind on the outside but he can see on the inside. Now he walks away. He was leading these men, but now these men are leading him. He lost sight of the world, but the insights in this man had now were so strong. This man who couldn't even find his way to the city of Damascus he ended up being the man who was the most influential Christian in all of history, the man who wrote most of the books of the New Testament. In essence, he was saying, I'm willing to give up the light that I had on the outside so that I could receive a greater light on the inside. And so now he's an old man. He's in jail. He's right into the church at Ephesus. You kind of think maybe he could be a little bit bitter. We know that Paul had trouble with his eyesight and uh, other some of his writings, he indicates that and and some scholars even suggest maybe that this great light that blinded him on the Damascus road, he never fully recovered from it. He always had trouble with his eyesight. He never fully recovered from it. And now he's at the end of his life, but he doesn't regret that exchange that happened. He's not wishing for his eyes back again. In fact, he's praying for them that the eyes of your spirit may be enlightened. What he's saying is what happens on the inside of you is far more important than what you can see on the outside. He's saying, I had to have two men, that have my men that lead me after my encounter with Jesus. But my eyes were open 
on the inside. That was far more important to me than regaining my physical sight. These men may have been leading me, but in reality, I could see much better than what they could see. My spiritual eyes that have been opened and, 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 and God has come and, and, and birthed in me my ministry. God has changed the direction of my life. God has given to me a, a revelation, has caused me to be the primary revo- uh, contributor of the New Testament. And he writes with this poor sight on the outside, but he's been enlightened on the inside. And he prays, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. He said, this is what I'm praying for, that the eyes of your spirit may be enlightened, that you may know these three things, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, that you may know his incomparable great power for us who believe. He's praying that they might know God what do you know about me? God, what, what do you have for me? God, what, what do you want to do through me? And he says, the answer to these three questions is far more important than any eyesight which we may have, physical eyesight that we may have. First one I want to suggest, what does God know about me? Out of the billions of people that have inhabited earth, who am I? Why am I here? Why do I, ex- why do I exist? And so Paul, in this letter, in the opening verses of this letter that he writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, he says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He's reminding the people God chose them before this world was ever created. God chose them. Before this world was ever created, God chose you. God chose me. God had a plan. He had a purpose for our life. We're not an accident. We're not a mistake. We're not here uh, for no reason at all. We're not just to exist as a blob on this planet and one day to fall off the other end and and that's the end of it and people say, Luke who? You know, we're not, we're here. There's a plan. There's a purpose. God has destined us to be sons and daughters of the living God. He has given to us redemption and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. He's, He's opened up our eyes to a plan that God has for us. He's sealed our spirit. He's enlightened us uh, by his spirit and he's guaranteed you know his power is within us so that we can inherit all the promises that God has got for us for this reason Paul says he prays that the saints at Ephesus and others who read this letter because we need to understand these truths our lives are not just to be spent selfishly on ourselves Jesus said the same didn't he He said seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these other things all these other stuff that we can see with our eyes That will be added to us. What does God know about me? What does God have for me? Well, we read on in the the chapter, they have love for each other. It says in verse 15, they have a faith in the Lord. But Paul reminds the people that they have an inheritance. He's praying that they will have hope. 
These Christians, they were in a pagan culture. They would have found it very difficult to get work. They would have found it difficult to start businesses. They would have found it difficult to mix in the social, uh, the status of, of the community that were there. If you come from a, a country where Christi Christianity is a minority, where Christians are, are persecuted because of their faith, you will understand what it was like for these people back here at the church at Ephesus. That was the culture in which they, they lived. It costs these believers to be Christians. So Paul talks to them about their inheritance. See, maybe some of you have an inheritance waiting for you. Most of us probably don't, but maybe some of you come from a very wealthy family and at some stage you're going to receive an inheritance and you're probably looking forward to that day when you have that inheritance. I am confident that I was switched at birth. I am sure that I was really uh, born to mega wealthy parents and someone swapped me at birth and I ended up with the poor parents that I've got. I'm sure that's what happened uh, in my case. You know, but God has an inheritance for us. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Not only has God has an inheritance for us, we are his inheritance. He wants to spend eternity with us. And what does God want to do through me? What is the hope of this calling? Say, God, what do you want from me? You know, how, how can I know, God, that, that what I'm doing is right? How can I know that, that, that I'm pleasing you? God, if, if you're who you are, I don't want to just drift. I, I, I want to know I, that I'm living a life that, that is pleasing uh, to you. I want to be of some worth to Almighty God. Well, we have available to us far more, far more than what we realise. Paul prays that they will know the resurrection power of God working in them. He wants to know how powerful God is. God raised Jesus from the dead. He is now working through us. Resurrection power of God. If we know that we've got the, the resurrection power of God working within us, it can heal broken lives. It can heal sick bodies. It can set oppressed people free. It can, mountains that maybe in our life can be removed. Provision can be provided where we need to have opportunity and provision. And not only that, God's power will eventually raise us from the dead and we'll spend eternity with him. If our heavenly father can raise Jesus from the dead, is there anything that he, can, he cannot do? That same power is at work in our lives if we are a believer. And Paul is teaching us this. He's saying to us, insight is better than eyesight. You can go to a doctor and, and uh, to an eye specialist and it's a good thing to go and have a checkup every now and again. And, and um, I probably should go to Specsaver and have a check, but I'm too tight. But anyway, they, you know, maybe these are getting to the stage now where they need to be replaced. So I need to go and have a check every now and again because our eyesight sometimes is, is failing. See, if you keep going through the same things, if you keep making the same mistakes in your life, if you're 30 years old and you, you keep repeating the same things over and over again, maybe you need to get the eyes of your spirit inspected. See, if you keep repeating the same behavior and the same mistakes time and time again, you don't appreciate what God has put in your life. See, if you don't know your value, if you don't know your worth, if you don't understand what it means to be a Christian, we have been chosen by God. We are a holy people if we don't understand and have that inner knowing of that in our life then we won't really value ourselves our spiritual eyesight is not correct we need the eyes of our spirit enlightened maybe we can be spiritually blind 
I want this morning just to pray over us as a prayer, as a people, this prayer that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. Let it be the prayer that we pray for us today uh, in the church here today. Let's all stand, shall we, and let me just pray this prayer. Uh, and I just encourage you, just take it to heart. Take it as it was written for you today. It's the living word of God. It's just as powerful today as it was when Paul penned it in prison with that poor eyesight to the church at Ephesus. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I ask that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know you better. I pray that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people and your incomparable great power for us who believe. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen.